Some stories were never supposed to be told. Stories that exist in the twilight between science and the supernatural, between history and horror. Stories that speak of terrifying things. Stories that you want to hear. Stories that you need to hear. Stories that will sink their teeth in and never let you go. My name is Mike Brown, and this is Pleasing Terrors. Episode 12, The Serpent's Curse. The serpent dwells in the void, slithering its way through the darkness between the stars. Its skin reflects the golden light of the sun, with which it is locked in a seemingly eternal struggle. It bears a face of stone, a face that shows no remorse and promises no mercy. For the serpent, time has no meaning. It is patient. It has traveled through space for millennia, occasionally looking down on us from the night sky, assured that its day would come. In fact, its day is almost here. The serpent dwells in the shadowy depths of space, but it also winds its way through time. It coils around our lives, slowly constricting, catching us in its grasp. It has placed a curse on us, and its curse is as old as time. We can run, we can hide, but in the end it will come for us all. From where we stand, looking forward, we can see it slowly threading its way into our future. Looking back, we can see the path that it has wound through our history, and its passing has been marked by death and disaster. On September 13, 1940, King George VI and Queen Elizabeth were in residence at Buckingham Palace taking tea when a massive explosion rocked the building, shattering windows and rupturing a water main. The palace had been targeted by a German bomber, which had dropped five high-explosive bombs. In January of 2012, the Italian cruise ship Costa Concordia struck a rock near Isla del Giglio, off the western coast of Italy. The rock tore a 160-foot gash in the side of the ship, causing it to take on water. The ship lost power and drifted toward the shore where it grounded 500 yards from the village of Giglio Porto and soon began to capsize. Some passengers safely reached the lifeboats only to be told to return to the ship. Though much delayed, the evacuation resumed, taking six hours. But not everyone made it all. One woman drowned, even though she had made it safely to the lifeboats earlier, but had been turned back. A crewman drowned, helping some of the last passengers into the boats. A father and daughter, unable to find a place in the lifeboats, also drowned. In all, 32 people died. 
21-year-old David McCreevy was living with his friend Clive Ralph and Ralph's wife Elsie, as well as their three children, Paul, Dawn, and Samantha. On Friday, April 13, 1973, Clive picked up an intoxicated McGreevy at a local pub and brought him home. He left McGreevy with his children while he went to pick up his wife. When they returned home, they were greeted by the police, who told them that their children had been murdered. McGreevy, intoxicated and already angry from an earlier altercation at the pub, smashed the baby's head, fracturing her skull. He then slit the throat of two-year-old Samantha and strangled four-year-old Paul. He mutilated their bodies with a pickaxe before carrying them outside and impaling them on the spikes of a wrought iron fence. He was discovered at 3.50 a.m. the next morning, walking on a street near the Ralph home. He was arrested and later confessed to the gruesome crimes. On October 13, 1972, Uruguayan Flight 571, carrying a rugby team, as well as their family and friends, was flying through the Andes Mountains on a trip from Montevideo, Uruguay, to Santiago, Chile. Bad weather conditions forced the pilots to deviate from their intended path, and after a cloud bank obscured visibility, the plane crashed into a mountain peak. A quarter of the passengers died in the crash. More died within a few days when eight people were killed in an avalanche. When what little food they had ran out, the survivors were forced to resort to cannibalism. Sixteen people were still alive when rescuers finally arrived, led there by two of the survivors who had made a heroic ten-day journey through the mountains to find help. The survivors had been stranded on the mountain for 72 days. On January 13, 1939, one of the worst brush fires in world history burned across Victoria, Australia, destroying nearly a million acres of land, as well as 3,700 buildings, including 1,300 homes. What became known as the Black Friday brush fires killed 71 people. At 2.30 a.m. on March 13, 1964, 29-year-old Brooklyn, New York resident Kitty Genovese left work at Ev's 11th Hour Bar in Queens and drove home in her red Fiat. At around 3.15 a.m., she parked in a railroad parking lot near her apartment. Unbeknownst to her, she was being followed by a man named Winston Mosley. As she walked, Genovese noticed Mosley and started to run. She screamed and called out for help, but Mosley caught up to her and stabbed her twice in the back. Her neighbors were, perhaps unfairly, accused of ignoring her pleas for help. It was said that some of them even watched the assault from their apartment windows. One man did lean out of his window and yell for Mosley to leave her alone, causing him to flee. Someone else called the police. No one realized that she had been stabbed. Mosley later came back and found Genovese collapsed on the floor of the hallway inside her building. He stabbed her multiple times and then raped her. When the police arrived, they found her being cradled in the arms of a neighbor. She died on the way to the hospital. 
On November 13, 1970, the most devastating tropical storm in recorded history, the Bola Cyclone, finally began to dissipate after having devastated East Pakistan, modern-day Bangladesh, over the preceding 24 hours. It killed 500,000 people. In the subdistrict of Upazila Tasmudin, 45% of the population was killed. The thread that connects all of these events is the day on which they occurred. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th is the most feared day in history, affecting between 17 and 21 million people in the United States every year. It has been estimated that 800 to 900 million dollars is lost in business on this day. Fear of the number 13 is called triskaidophobia, and fear of Friday the 13th is called Parascavita catriophobia. Many of those affected alter their routines, refusing to travel, work, or in some cases, even leave their homes. Sometimes, even that is not enough to save them. In 1976, a man named Daz Baxter was so afraid that on Friday the 13th, he decided not to leave his apartment and instead stayed in bed. He was killed later that day when the floor of his apartment collapsed. Superstitions, the belief that random and seemingly mundane events can have supernatural and often threatening power, are as old as civilization. We are faced with them when we spill salt, break a mirror, walk under a ladder, or see a black cat cross our path. But one of the most powerful and perhaps most ancient superstitions is the fear of the number 13. Numerology, the belief that numbers have mystical power or are at least symbolic of mystical forces at work in our lives, tells us that the number 12 is representative of completion, of stability. But the number 13 is representative of upheaval and destruction. It is said that it is bad luck for 13 people to sit at a table for dinner, and that the first one to rise from the table will die. This likely traces back to the Last Supper, where Judas is said to have been the 13th person to sit at the table and the first one to leave. This particular superstition was so strong that it prompted a group of prominent men to form the 13 Club, which hosted dinner parties with 13 men in attendance, in defiance of the supposed curse. The club grew to over 400 members, including five U.S. presidents. The fear of Friday the 13th is documented as having existed in the 19th century. One of the earliest known written accounts is found in Henry Sutherland Edwards' 1869 biography of Giochino Rossini, who died on Friday the 13th. He was surrounded to the last by admiring friends. And if it be true that, like so many Italians, he regarded Friday as an unlucky day and 13 as an unlucky number, it is remarkable that on Friday the 13th of November, he passed away. The fear may have entered popular culture with the publication in 1907 of Thomas W. Lawson's novel, Friday the 13th, the story of a stockbroker who takes advantage of the superstition to create a Wall Street panic. While Lawson didn't invent the superstition, 
his novel may have made its perception more common. However, though documented accounts of Periscovita cotriophobia only extend back as far as the 1800s, legends and folklore extend its origins back to the beginning of time and magnify its significance to biblical proportions. They also identify its creator. In the book of Genesis, Adam, the first man, lived with his wife Eve in the idyllic Garden of Eden. But even in this place of perfect harmony and order, the shadows of chaos gathered and took the form of a serpent. It tempted Eve to take a bite of the apple from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was forbidden to eat the fruit of that tree, but Eve succumbed to temptation and convinced Adam to do the same. These acts of disobedience were the original sin, a violation of the established order and the introduction of chaos into the world. As a result, Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden and forced out into a hostile world. While the first six days were days of creation, of the establishment of order and harmony, and the seventh day was a day of rest, the day on which Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree, according to some traditions, was the thirteenth day, and it would enter into history as a cursed day, later becoming a dark holiday filled with fear and uncertainty, the day we today recognize as Friday the 13th, and its architect was the serpent. In 1844, while living in Greenwich Village, Edgar Allan Poe wrote The Cask of Amontillado. He is thought to have gotten the inspiration for this story from his time as a soldier stationed at Castle Island in Boston Harbor, shortly before his unit was shipped to Charleston, South Carolina. According to the legend, a few years before, soldiers lured an officer they hated into the dungeon of the fort and chained him to the wall. They then sealed the vault leaving the officer there to die. In Poe's story, Montressor, the narrator, tells of his revenge against a nobleman, ironically named Fortunato, for his series of past insults. Montressor lures Fortunato into his wine cellar to taste a rare vintage of Amontillado, a variety of dark sherry. As they make their way through the cellar, Montressor mentions that his family coat of arms bears a golden foot crushing a serpent. The serpent has its fangs buried in the heel of the foot. The image is accompanied by the Montressor family motto, No one attacks me with impunity. Fortunato, unaware that he has incurred Montressor's wrath, is also unaware that he is being led into a trap. The story bears great symbolic significance. Fortunato, whose name in Italian means the fortunate one, is representative of man leaving himself safe within the confines of civilization, unaware that the serpent, revealed in Montressor's coat of arms, is leading him to his destruction. The serpent, as a symbol of chaos and death, extends back as far as ancient Egypt. In ancient Egyptian mythology, the chief god was Ra, the creator. He was the sun god, 
called the Bringer of Light. He was responsible for protecting Ma'at, the goddess who symbolized truth, balance, order, harmony, law, morality, and justice. Ma'at was under perpetual threat from Apep, whom the Romans would later call Apophis. Apophis was the greatest enemy of Ra and the personification of evil, the god of chaos, darkness, and death, thought to have been the previous chief god and to have been overthrown by Ra. It took the form of a large golden snake with a head made of stone, and its movements were thought to be the source of earthquakes. Every day, it attempted to swallow the sun, and every day, Ra rose into the sky to do battle with it. Priests prayed each night for Ra's victory over Apophis. In an annual rite called the Banishing of Chaos, the priest built an effigy of Apophis which symbolically contained all of the evil of Egypt and burned it in the hope of protecting the people for another year. Apophis was thought to be trapped in the underworld, where it was also known as the Eater of Souls. Priests assumed that Apophis literally lived underground and rose from below to threaten them. They never considered that he might descend on them from above. On June 19, 2004, scientists at the Kitt Peak National Observatory discovered an asteroid headed towards the Earth. They gave it the provisional designation 2004-MN4. On December 21st, it passed the Earth at a distance of 8,950,000 miles. By then, scientists were already studying it closely. Its orbit was calculated the same week as the Indonesian tsunami, which is why so few heard about it at the time. Once the scientists knew its orbit, they knew when it would return. That was when they began to worry. The scientists realized that on Friday, April 13th, 2029, the asteroid given a permanent designation of 99942 will travel so close to the Earth that it will pass below our communication satellites. It will be the closest an object that large has ever come to the Earth in recorded history. As terrifying as that prospect was, what truly worried scientists at the time was that even if it missed the Earth in 2029, it would come close enough that the Earth's gravity would affect its trajectory. They determined that if it passed through a particular point in space, what they called a gravitational keyhole, that it would return to strike the Earth seven years later, on April 13, 2036. The asteroid is the size of the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. It is over a thousand feet in diameter. According to astrophysicist Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, at a speech given on February 13, 2007, it was thought to be aimed at the Pacific Ocean, where it would strike off the coast of Santa Monica and raise a 50-foot tsunami that would scour clean the west coast of the United States of any trace of civilization. When an asteroid receives a permanent designation, as 99942 did, 
on June 24, 2005. It is also eligible to receive a nay. On July 19, 2005, 99942 was named Apophis. There is an eerie confluence of science and mythology in the story of Apophis. What makes its trajectory so hard to determine is what is known as the Yarkovsky effect, the heating of the surface of the asteroid by the sun as it travels through space. The sun god Ra, still waging his eternal war against Apophis, the looming threat of destruction. Further analysis has given us some cause for hope. Scientists now believe that Apophis will miss the keyhole in 2029, and that in 2036, it will pass safely by us, resuming its journey through space. However, it will return on either April 13, 2076, April 13, 2077, or April 13, 2078. It will also return as well on Friday, April 13, 2091, and April 13, 2105. For now, mankind can take comfort in our modernity and remind ourselves that we have nothing to fear, confident in the fact that the bright light of science has banished our superstitions and rendered them harmless. The serpent's curse is just a myth, a story grown out of control. For now, all we can do is stare into the night sky and wait and hope. serpent dwells in the void, slithering its way through the darkness between the stars. Its skin reflects the golden light of the sun, with which it is locked in a seemingly eternal struggle. It bears a face of stone, a face that shows no remorse and promises no mercy. For the serpent, time has no meaning. It is patient, it has traveled through space for millennia, occasionally looking down on us from the night sky, assured that its day would come. Sooner or later, its day will come, and that day in all likelihood will bear its number. 13. This episode of the Pleasing Terrors podcast was written by Mike Brown. It was recorded, edited, and mixed by Eric Stair at Charleston Sound Studio. If you would like to support the show, please rate and review Pleasing Terrors on iTunes. Your review will make it easier for others to find us. For more creepy news, history, and folklore, or for information on upcoming episodes, please visit us at Pleasing Terrors on Facebook and Twitter and at pleasingterrors.com. Thank you for listening.